Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Better With Wine podcast. We help to make your day or evening or morning, whatever, better with wine. I'm Gracie. And I'm Elena. We ferment and filter all this gritty info for your drinking pleasure. We have. We will continue to. (laughs) And uh, we're about to do some more. Yes. What an episode we have here. I'm so so excited. excited. It's our... Part one of our season finale. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we're here. We're here. You know what's really weird, too, is looking outside and seeing how bright it is. Like, we typically record at the same time every day. Yes, and it's always, week. like, dark. It's always dark outside. <gasps> Spring is coming. <sighs> Spring slowly. is so, so close. but surely. <laughs> I know. I'm seriously so ready. I'm just happy to see the sun shining, some warmer weather, rosé, sparkling wine. Can't wait. I it's my favorite. I can't wait. It's my favorite. So here's I'm ready a for random like the, question. I'm ready for like the birds to oh, start chirping. Yes, they are at my house. They are. Oh yeah. Like <sighs> in the mornings, it's wonderful. I yeah, and like I'm so ready for like the buds to start blooming. Yes. Like I Gardening. just love spring. <laughs> Starting my garden. Can't wait to garden. <laughs> I know we do. I was like start. I'm starting to plan it out. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm actually late to start. I'm actually late to plan. It I out. have not started, so I'm super late. Are you gonna do seeds this year? Uh no, probably not. I think I might try it. I've never done it. Oh, I love doing seeds, but I just don't, don't think time. I can manage it this year. Yeah. Well, I'll try it this year. Am I way, am I way too late for that? No. Uh, there's a chart that Louisville Grows put on their Instagram, and I'll send it to you. I need to do this. Uh, and it actually shows, like, if you're going to start seeds, which ones are okay to start at what time. Oh, good. Yeah, let me get that. And then if you're not doing seeds, like, if they're already small plants, when to start planting those. Okay. Etc. And like, what's okay. the germination period and then harvest period? Okay. Yeah, I need that. So it's a really I need good help. help. <laughs> <laughs> I need all the help I but can get. But there are some that are really easy to start in seed. Like, a lot of herbs are really easy to start with seed. Mm. Like, um, I love, like, I do basil and oh, cilantro yeah. and parsley from seed okay, every so year. Okay. You can just do that in the ground. Oh. Um, you can do carrot. Carrots, you want to start now. Yeah. Uh, I do know that carrots from seed is really easy. Beets Are tomatoes easy? From seed, no, no. You might as well. They're fine, but you might as well just get. Yeah, I've had success just doing the plants. Yeah, um, peppers from seed are pretty easy. I love peppers. That's where I got all my weird ones from last year. Oh, really? I had fifteen different varietals. That's wild. All just because of seed. She's a hot sauce connoisseur too. Yeah, <laughs> I love my hot sauces. <laughs> I'm trying. I made my first ever hot sauce this past. I don't know. What I don't know what time is anymore. This past season, <laughs> who knows when it was? <laughs> what is time? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah, we're talking about sparkling wine, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many bubbles are in a bottle of champagne? We're talking seven fifty. I, I have no idea. I'm gonna guess like <laughs> it's ridiculous. You're not supposed to know. <laughs> okay, uh, I was gonna say two thousand. Way more. <laughs> And there was, like, a study somebody did, some scientists. I don't know how he got the numbers. It was over my head, but... <laughs> um, it's in the millions. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stick with two. I, I like two, so I'm going to say 200 million. Oh, closer. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, definitely. Kind of. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Is it over, though? No. Yeah, you're over. Okay. 20 million. Uh, there's more than that. Okay. 220 million. <laughs> No. Oh, wait, that's too far. <laughs> you just added them. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. Give it a up. <laughs> 100 million bubbles. <sighs> Why Actually, was I wanting the two. I wanted the two so badly. I know you did. 102 million bubbles. There we go. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Once it's opened. Once they're, when it's closed, there's no bubbles. When you open it, the bubbles. Right. 
Um, so is that specifically to traditional Champagne? method? I believe so. Traditional method. Okay. Yep. Which we're going to talk about. Yeah. Let's, di- let's dive in. Okay. I'm, I think I'm ready. So we're going <laughs> to talk about a couple different styles today. We're not tasting yet. We're going to taste next week. Yes. And we're going to have a special guest on yes. with us. And our big news will be um, announcing next week, too. <laughs> I literally can't wait. <laughs> I don't think y'all understand how excited we are. You're more excited than I am. <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe right now in the moment. I don't really care to like, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Stay tuned. All right. All right, well, I'm going to kick us off. Are you ready? I am so ready. So this episode, we're talking about sparkling wine. Of course, we've all heard of champagne and probably Prosecco and maybe some Cava, right? So what makes them all different? And how do we get bubbles in wine? That's really the question. So simply put... The wine goes through two fermentation processes, and the secondary fermentation is what gives us those lovely bubbles, that sparkly, tingly feeling on our tongue. Now, there's a ton that goes into this topic, hence the reason we're doing two episodes, and there are multiple ways you can create bubbles in wines. So today, I will be briefly breaking down what we call the traditional method for sparkling wine production, and then talking about which styles of wine are made using this method and their flavor profiles. The traditional method also goes by the name Method Champenoise, meaning from Champagne. So it does go without saying that this winemaking style, tradition, method originated in Champagne. Now the traditional method and the Method Champenoise are the exact same thing. And we can use these terms interchangeably, which I might be doing as we as we move forward. So this is one of the major methods for making bubbly, bubbly wine. It is also the oldest method, the most laborious, and the most renowned method as well. So I'm going to try to briefly go over what goes into this style of winemaking. Buckle up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I needed that. Okay, so obviously we're starting with grapes. Wine comes from grapes. We're growing the grapes. We're harvesting the grapes. And we're making a still wine. We're making a wine like we normally make. Wine that we have been drinking this entire episode. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the next step for the winemaker to do is to take those grapes, those that wine, that still wine, and make a blend. They're going to blend the wine. It's called a cuvee, or they call it an assemblage as well. And this is likely one of the most important steps in this process. So they're taking a wine. They're taking an idea of a wine. What they're doing is they're blending these juices together, knowing what it's going to go through in hopes that it creates the outcome they desire. Right? I know mm-hmm. that's arbitrary and abstract, but I think it'll make sense in a little bit. Next, they add some more wine and sugar and some yeasts to this assemblage, this cuvee. So they've got a bunch of wine, a bunch of liquid. They're adding a little bit more solution. And then they're taking that solution, mixing it all together, and putting it in individual bottles. So the first wine that you're making the first still wine that wine the alcohol has already been fermented it's already it's already been fermented correct and so you make just wine where it could be drinkable exactly you could totally drink this wine and and then they add another another dose of another bit of wine with yeast and sugar Mm -hmm. mix it together yes what's the purpose of that that is going to initiate the secondary fermentation okay and that goes in the bottle Yes. Well, they add it all together and then they put it in a bottle, but yes. So the second the second fermentation happens in the bottle. In the bottle, yes. So your secondary fermentation is happening within the bottle, and it's due to that addition of yeast and the liquided tirage, which is the wine and sugar. So you're adding 
what is needed to initiate another fermentation inside of each bottle. Right. So fermentation is with sugar eating or yeast eating sugar. Correct. So that's fermentation. So fermentation. you're that the first wine was already done because all the yeast that was already in it, all the yeast that was already in it made or ate all that sugar. Yes. So they don't have any more to create even more of that fermentation. So what is the purpose of having a second fermentation? To create bubbles. So in normal fermentation, you know, it's typically open air. It's in a big tank. It's in a big oak vat. It's in a stainless steel, whatever container you're wanting to use. It creates carbon dioxide. That carbon dioxide escapes. It creates more alcohol. So what we're doing in the bottle, we've got the cap enclosure. That CO2 gets trapped inside of the bottle, turns into a dissolved gas. And whenever you pop that cap off, it creates bubbles within the wine. The, the carbon dioxide solidifies, if you will. Correct. And then yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So because that CO2 is not able to escape like it typically is, like when our first fermentation happened, that CO2 just went off into the air and went on its happy way. Now it's contained. We're containing it in the bottle with the wine and it all becomes its own thing and it's trapped and that creates those lovely bubbles we have. So, okay, that's cool. It's interesting. It's very, very interesting. So... You make the wine, uh-huh. and then it's already, it could be drinkable if they want to drink it. It could be. But then they put it in the bottle with more yeast and more sugar, mm-hmm. and they trap it in there because that, and it creates pressure, which forces that carbon dioxide to stay in there. Mm-hmm. So it's a natural carbon dioxide. It's a natural carbonation, if exactly. you Exactly. Um, of of that wine, so it doesn't add natural. it doesn't add more alcohol because the alcohol the carbon dioxide can't escape. It might add a little bit more alcohol, but not too, but not, not a whole lot, not yeah. enough mm-hmm. to like make note. So it really the only purpose is to force the carbon dioxide to stay inside the bottle to create that carbonation. Correct, exactly, and it's gonna change the flavor profile of the wine. Um, How so? Well, we're getting into that. So okay. now. You've got your wine bottle, right? Yes. You've got your secondary fermentation has occurred. What's left over is a bunch of dead yeast cells. I think we've talked about this maybe with Chardonnay. Yeah. A couple of times. So what the winemaker does next, and especially in Champagne, there's there's time limits on this, is they're going to rest the wine. The wine is going to stay in that bottle, and it's going to age on the lees, on the dead yeast cells. So it's going to hang out with those dead yeast cells. This is called surly aging. And in Champagne, it's at least 15 months. Go ahead. Wait a second. So you said surly aging. Surly aging. So can you spell that? Sur is S-U-R, and then Lee is L-I-E. So it looks like surly. <laughs> sur is over, so it's on. So on the Lees. Okay. So sur is on, and then Lee oh. is is like a, a plural form of Lees. Surly. So we're so aging on the On the Lees. Duh. <laughs> I guess I probably would have gotten there eventually. You would have. <laughs> yeah, so this is an important uh, factor in the flavor profile of the wine. So what aging on the lees does, it creates complexity in the wine. It creates a creaminess, bigger mouthfeel, and it's going to have really savory flavor notes because of it. Cool. And this is very important. So a lot of, so 15 months is the minimum, but a lot of champagne makers especially will leave them for three years aging on the lees because it just is that important. So you said that by it sitting on the lees and even aging longer, mm-hmm. how does that 
develop the flavor profile? Does it? I'm assuming it changes it a Absolutely. lot. Absolutely. Yeah. So not only does it create that fuller mouthfeel and creaminess and complexity, it's going to add those nice bready, yeasty flavors that we love in champagne, love in sparkling wine. So it's going to give you that toast, that bread, that brioche. Those flavor notes come from that surly aging. So... I guess it kind of makes sense then yeah. with yeast. I mean, you use yeast and bread. Exactly. So that's where the yeast, the bread flavor comes from in bread. Exactly. It's, yeast. it's exactly. not because of the flour. No. Yeah. It's from the, it's from the yeast. So yeah. you get that also in the wine. Exactly. That's so cool. Yeah. So if you've ever heard that with champagne, we'll definitely be tasting that on next, next episode. Bread is like a huge flavor component <laughs> to sparkling wine. Well, for this style. Okay, so now we've got a bunch of dead yeast in our bottle, right? Which we've been aging it on. But if we were to pop that bottle open now, it would be cloudy as hell. And nobody wants to drink cloudy wine. So what they do is a very labor-intensive process called riddling and disgorging. And what it does is it filters out those dead yeast cells bottle by bottle. It's a crazy process. I highly recommend YouTubing it because it is quite fascinating if you're a wine nerd. And then at the end of that, they add a little bit of sugar and wine to the bottle, cork it up label it, send it off for sale. So what's the purpose of adding the sugar? They want to add sugar to balance out the wine, essentially. And this is going to determine the sweetness level of the final product. This is what they call the dosage, or the liqueur de expedition. Because they're adding a dose of sugar. Dose of sugar. So some some champagnes are sweet, some champagnes are not sweet. Mm -hmm. So is that where they, that's the time that they add certain levels of sugar Correct. to make, the, so it's not about the ripeness or anything of the nope. grapes. They actually add, so it's like the uh, capitalization, essentially. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, good point. And so this... That we talked about with me, Riesling, like, last, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, exactly. And this brings me to sweetness levels of champagne. So we're still talking about champagne in general. Well... This method is the method Champenois. There are other styles of sparkling wine that follow this method, which we'll get into. But I'm going to jump straight into champagne. So champagne, 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 champagne. <laughs> what it's a champagne topic. because what it's from topic. champagne. Exactly. True champagne only comes from Champagne, France, within the three subregions, only from Champagne, France. So I know we have seen California champagne. It's not the real deal. We're going to get to that as well. But I want to make it clear that champagne, real champagne, is from France. The most, if not the most, expensive sparkling wine in the world. You're going to have to spend at least $50 for a good quality champagne. And that's bottom tier. <laughs> Typical flavor profiles for champagne in general, you're going to have citrus, yellow apple, cream, almond, and toast. Now, there are a few different types of champagne. So champagne, traditional champagne, what we've been talking about is those three grapes. And it is a white wine, a white sparkling wine. You can have Champagne Blanc de Blanc. Blanc de Blanc meaning white of white. And that is 100% the Chardonnay grape. This is going to give you more yellow apple, lemon, mellow, and toast flavors. Mm. You can also have Blanc de Noir. So white of black. <laughs> Blanc <Yeah>. de Noir. <laughs> yeah, white of black. 100% the other two grapes, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. That's going to give you more white cherry, lemon zest, smokiness, and some mushroom notes. Now, lastly, we have rosé champagne, which is my favorite because I love champagne. I mean rosé and champagne, let's be honest. And those can still be a blend of all three of the grapes, but a, they let it turn into a rosé wine. So they so let they it get that, the pink color. So they let 
they allow the skin the skin contact yes. to stay on for a little bit. Well, that's one way. They do that, or they add a touch of Pinot Noir to each bottle before the secondary oh, fermentation. Oh, part of the cuvee, part mm-hmm. of the blend. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So you've got traditional champagne, rosé champagne, Blanc de Blanc, and Blanc de Noir. Okay, so we can get into sweetness levels of champagne as well. There are seven um, different levels, ranging from dry to sweet. The driest is going to be Brute Nature. Brute Nature. And, like, I've had this level. It's Don't just it. not very palatable. <laughs> it's very dry, yeah. And because, like, champagne is such a cold region, and they just pick the grapes and they blend mm-hmm. it, that the... The juice itself, the wine itself, is just so acidic. Yes. And it's so tart. Yes. That there's just not a pleasant way to drink it when it's brute nature. It's just it's just a little harsh. And those are usually the non-dosed champagnes. So they right. don't add that last bit of sugar. And that's it's hard. Yeah, it's difficult to drink those. But that's why they add that bit of that dosage uh, that dosage of sugar, mm-hmm. so they can balance it out. Balance out that. I mean, that's the purpose of chapitalization is to balance out that acid. So having just a little bit is important. Yeah. And it doesn't even taste like that you have, like some of them, you don't even taste the sugar because it's so acidic. Exactly. Like the two most popular styles, which are next, extra brute and brute are probably going to be the ones you see more often. Those actually do have sugar in them, but you can't tell because the acidity is so intense. Yeah. So extra brute and brute are probably the ones you'll see most commonly and the ones you want to seek out if you're looking for a dry style of really fantastic champagne. Then if you're looking for sweeter styles, you're going to go from extra dry to sec, meaning dry as well, to demi-sec to sweet. Sweet is going to be your sweetest style of champagne. So it's misleading that extra dry and dry are actually not that dry. They actually mm-hmm. are quite sweet. Exactly. They have a good amount of sweetness on them. And, and then sec is actually kind of sweet too. <laughs> well, sec translates to sugar. Yeah. So semi-sec or demi-sec is like half sugar. Half sugar. It's very misleading. <laughs> yeah. So, so moral of the story is seek out brute, extra brute. Maybe if extra you want dry. your dry. Exactly. If you want your dry, if you want just a hint of sugar, extra dry is good. Mm-hmm. If you want a little bit more sugar, dry, and then think sec is equals sugar. Exactly. So if you want sweet, go to that that demi-sec or that sec. Yeah. Excellent. So next we're going to be talking about a couple of other styles of wine, um, also made in the traditional method. And we're going to stay in France for this next category. We're going to be talking about Cremant. 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 So Cremant simply is the name for a sparkling wine that is made in France, but outside of Champagne. So if it comes from Champagne, we're calling it Champagne because we earned that title. Anything else in France, sparkling wine-wise, is Cremant. So think like Chablis or mm-hmm. <clears throat> what's another one? Um, Sancerre yeah. or Bordeaux. You know, they're named after where they come from. It's right. very traditional. Burgundy. Exactly. And then Cremant is going to be labeled with a, a D, an apostrophe, and then where it actually comes from. So, for example, we have Cremant d'Alsace. We talked about Alsace. Cremant and, you know, of Alsace. Exactly. Exactly. And these are going to be much more affordable. Spend at least $20 on a nice one. $30 probably being your sweet spot here. And these are not limited to any varietals like in Champagne. It's going to be the varietals from where the region comes from. Okay, so typical flavor profile for Cremant is going to be lemon, white peach, almond, and toast. And once you get into the subregions, they vary, they vary slightly. So we've got Cremant Alsace, which is going to be mostly Pinot Blanc. 
it's also some Pinot Noir and Chardonnay like we see in Champagne and those can be white or rosé okay we also have Cremant de Loire and this can also include Chardonnay but it's mostly going to be Chenin Blanc that's going to give you a more um, floral profile so think honeysuckle uh, chamomile maybe some ginger as well we also have Cremante Bourgogne, which obviously is going to be your Chardonnay and Pinot Noir mostly. A little bit of Gamay and Aligote from that region as well. Oh, I love Aligote. Oh, it's so fun. So these are going to be less complex than Champagne because they don't age as long, but they are probably the closest to Champagne, especially since region-wise they're very similar. And lastly, we have Cremante Lemoux. Cremante Lemoux is going to be mostly Chardonnay and Chenin Blanc as well. Lemoux, how do you spell that? L-I-M-O-U-X. That's a fun one. Lemu, Cremant and Lemu. Okay, hopping the border. We're headed to Spain. I love Spain. Sparkling wine in Spain is called Cava. Cava is C-A-V-A. Is this Cava. also a traditional method? Also a traditional method. Cool. Um, but Cava's are much more affordable than Champagne and Cremant. You can spend 15 bucks on one. 18 is probably your sweet spot. Anything higher is going to be more uh, better quality. Flavor profile for kava is going to be more lime, yellow apple, chamomile, almond, and cream. French Accorda is our Italian sparkling wine. French Accorda is a region inside of Lombardy. Grapes included in French Accorda are going to be the three champagne varietals with the addition of Pinot Blanc. These are going to be super pricey here in the $40 range with French Accorda, but very, very worth it. Flavor profile is going to be lemon, peach, some cherry, almond, and toast as well. And last but not least, we're going to talk about California sparkling. And Elena probably will too. <laughs> Just a touch. Just a touch. So not all California sparkling is made with the traditional method. Although it might say champagne on the label, it's not from champagne because it's going to say California champagne, which is kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> right, because it's like... Yeah. It's like saying California, Kentucky. Exactly. It it's, makes no sense. It doesn't make much sense at all. <laughs> and this is where things start to get a little weird. It's like Calif California, Kentucky bourbon. Or like... Yeah. I don't it's know. It's like, what are they... Because bourbon is like literally named after the county. Mm-hmm. Bourbon County. Bourbon County. Anyways. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> we digress. Yeah. <laughs> so, while you can find some really yummy California sparkling, and there are some winemakers that do use the traditional method... Not all, I just want to make it known that not all California sparkling wine is going to be champagne method. Now, if they do use this method, they will likely put it on the label because it's it's going to tell you of the quality that goes into the wine, and you're, you're going to want to look for that when you're shopping for domestic usually sparkling says, wine. It usually says traditional method. Exactly. Or method champenoise. Exactly. And the best ones here are also going to be around the $25 range. And that's what's really good about labeling laws is that you actually can tell on the label how it's made um and therefore you know exactly generally how it's going to taste or exactly. texture or whatever yeah um with sparkling wine if it says traditional method you know kind of it's gone through that second fermentation in the bottle and so you're going to have a lot more bready notes exactly if it's gone through the charmat method which is what i'm going to talk about um, you're going to get different flavors from that. So it's just, it, it, that's what it's so important to know how things are labeled on the bottle because it does tell you the different flavor it profile what to and expect. the texture. Yeah, yeah. What to expect. Absolutely. And of course, being in California, we're looking at mostly Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. Cool. Ooh. And I have to say there are some wonderful Chardonnay 
or sorry, wonderful sparkling wines from California. There are. I've had many. Wonderful, <laughs> expensive, lovely bottles of, of, of sparkling wine mm-hmm. from from California. Like Schramsberg. Oh, Schramsberg is great. Roterer. Roterer is probably my favorite. Yeah. Judge Mum. Mum is wonderful. Mm-hmm. That one's like a really good affordable one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they, do, they do a good job. You just have to know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You want it to say what kind of method it's made in. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you might just be getting CO2 pumped into regular wine. Just another one that I'm going to talk about. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Okay, Gracie. So before I dive into my Charmant method, mm-hmm. I got to ask you. Okay. What is your favorite sparkling wine? Hands down. Oh. Do you have one? I don't think I do. Do you have like a favorite style? style? Do you have a favorite style? Um, I love Prosecco. I could drink Prosecco every day. Me too. I love Prosecco. I also really like, I love champagne. Champagne's wonderful. I like it all. Yeah. I wish I had a favorite and I wish I had a better answer, but I don't. I love sparkling rosé. That's like my real jam. (laughs) I mean, I can't wait. I love sparkling rosé. Yeah. Sparkling rosé is awesome. Um, I love. Oh, you know what I really love is Lambrusco. Ah, uh, so good. One of my, it's definitely on my top, my top three sparkling wines. I just really like bubbles. I do too. And I drink, I like bubbly water. <laughs> so I like bubbles <laughs> in my wine too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh my goodness. So like when I was little, um, this is, I mean, I, I know that there are a lot of families out there that have this, you know, lifestyle still. I don't. Um, but when... Friday nights would come along, we would have pizza night. Every Friday mm-hmm. night was pizza night, whether we ordered it out or we made home homemade pizza. Nice. And we had, I had to have my Coca-Cola. <laughs> Seriously? With my pizza. Yeah. And I drank like three or four of them <laughs> oh, just no. because I needed that bubbles. Yes. It was, I was addicted to the bubbles and I like needed to chug and feel the bubbles and the fizz go down my throat. Yeah. It was not just like the sweetness and like the flavor of it, but it was like, I need those bubbles. Those bubbles to wash everything down. And it's then, a thing. It is. And then I um, was like, I need to stop drinking so much sugar in college. And so I like literally cut out all soda right. in college and I haven't gone back since that's good but I love my bubbles still yeah so I do my bubbles in champagne or sparkling wines I love it and I also do it in, in my, my LaCroix yeah oh my god I'm addicted I've gotten miles addicted too it's, it's, it's so kind of good same no, <laughs> like we go same. through a lot of LaCroix <laughs> but like I it's because I am addicted to that bubbles yes. I love my bubbles so and it's so good with food mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just it does make a meal better I don't it's know better than regular water you know yeah <laughs> it really is I don't know what it is but what's your favorite LaCroix flavor or bu- like bubbly yeah, flavor? Yeah, Pamplemousse. That's an easy one. I'm a Pamplemousse lover. No lime. Oh, what? Like key lime or regular lime? Regular lime. Interesting. Because key, like key lime has vanilla in it. Yeah, I like the key lime. I like um, my second favorite is probably the tangerine. Ooh, I haven't had that one. Oh my gosh. It's Every time I see it, you don't see it very often. I buy like three cases. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's how you have to do it. It's three for 10. <laughs> the lemon is really good. I really do like the pamplemousse. I love the lemon. Pamplemousse is my favorite. Grapefruit in That's general. the one that got me hooked. It's so good. Yeah. All right, Gracie, let's talk about the Charmant method. I'm here for it. So we talked about traditional method or method champenoise or champagne method. Um, yeah. All of, those, call it. all of those are synonymous with each other. Um, so that's where the f- second fermentation happens in the bottle. Correct. Where that carbonation is forced to stay within that wine inside the bottle. 
So method Charmat is also called the tank method. How do you spell Charmat? Charmat. Uh, C-H-A-R-M-A-T. Charmat. Got it. Charmat. Um, so it's also called the tank method or metodo italiano, which Ooh. is Italian method, uh, or cuvee close. Um, so so different names for these things. I know. So <laughs> the reason why it's called tank method, which is kind of, I like to call it t- the tank method. Yeah. Um, because the second fermentation happens within the tank. So when... During the traditional method, that still wine is made. So it's made traditionally like in a tank, right? And Mm -hmm. then you bottle it and then you add that yeast and sugar to to create that second fermentation. Well, with the tank method, you don't bottle it first. You add the yeast and the sugar and the extra bit of wine, blend it up, and then force pressurize closed the tank itself so that carbonation is created and forced inside that wine in the tank wow yeah so bigger format yes it's a much bigger format it's a lot cheaper it's a Mm. lot easier to make um wines in a quicker method uh this was invented and patented in the late 1800s in 1895 by this Italian winemaker in a small region of Osti. Interesting. Super interesting. So it's it's a quicker version as well than the Correct. traditional. Gotcha. Correct. Uh, but then in 1907, there was a Frenchman with the last name Charmat. He came in. Mm-hmm. He simplified it and made it a little bit more... Um, he just imp- improved it a little bit, and then he pa- repatented it under his name. So nice. that's why it's called the Charmat Method. It's named sense. after this guy. Um, so it is a more economical way to make sparkling wine in large quantities. Um, it has the same beginning of the traditional method. Like I said, um, it makes the still wine, but then the difference occurs when that liqueur de tirage, which is the sugar and the yeast mixture mixture that comes in to create that second fermentation. It's added to the stainless steel pressure tank. Like I said, Mm -hmm. inside instead of the bottle. Wow. So, um, it forces that carbon dioxide to pressurize in the wine in the tank. And then they filter it. Okay. So that's all, you know, they filter the wine in the bottle to get with the, the traditional method. Out. Right. So with the traditional method, they filter that wine out. Right. They age it first and then they, they filter that wine oh, out. Oh, so there's no aging for Charmant. There's no aging for okay. Charmant. So they age it first with the traditional method in the bottle with the yeast. So it sits on the lees, Sir mm-hmm. Lee, or Sir Lee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do that here. They okay. just filter, immediately filter out the dead yeast cells, huh. and then they bottle it. Interesting. So what does it do to the flavor profile? With, they don't age it or anything. So they don't age it, and right. then they don't set it on the lees. Right. So as you can imagine, it's not going to have as much of a bready flavor. Right. It's going to be a lot more fruit forward, which it's actually kind of ideal that way. The wines that use the Charmat method tend to also be more aromatic wines. Oh, Okay. The types of wine that undergo the Charmat method are going to be Prosecco, Lambrusco, Moscato, Osti Spumanti, mm. German Sect. Yum, these are like all my favorites. <laughs> yeah, and American-made sparkling wines. Of course. Um, some other things that you're going to notice that it, with the Charmat method is that they are going to have a lot smaller and softer carbonation just because of the structure of the vessel that it's fermenting in. Mm-hmm. So the vessel of the bottle with the traditional method versus a big tank will produce different sized and texture of the bubbles, which is super interesting. Wow. Yeah. 
So, um, Look how cute are little bubbles? I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, also, because the wine made with the Charmant method are bottled directly after the second fermentation, um, the uh, they're filtered and then bottled. They will be crystal clear. Ooh. So we remove and filter the dead yeast cells from the traditional method by with the bottles by just like ejecting it. Mm-hmm. So you might have a little bit of remainder of yes. that sediment. Definitely. But you're not going to have any sediment at all with any of the Charmant methods. You're able to go through a filter. A, right? An actual filtered filtration, filtration process. Correct. Cool. So if you see, if you do see sediment in your Prosecco or Moscato or anything similar that is supposed to be under the Charmant method, it's a fault wow that's interesting yeah so if you see sediment in your champagne it's okay (laughs) (laughs) right fine (laughs) it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay it's natural it is exactly that's exactly right so um there is another method of sparkling wine that we really wanted to touch on because it's really important this Mm -hmm. is where people find that they um purchase a lot of this wine because they think that they're you know getting a deal getting a deal (laughs) or like it's the same stuff there's no difference in the price etc and that's not correct (laughs) i knew where we're going with this so this one method of making sparkling wine is called forced carbonation um uh, we like to call it soda method um europe actually calls it i think they legally put it on if it's if it's made in europe and it's like this it's actually legally required to have aerated sparkling wine on the label oh nice yeah that's wonderful i know huh so um what this is is they actually after instead of where the traditional method and the tank method instead of adding that yeast and the sugar to create that natural secondary fermentation or the second fermentation what they do is they just inject gas they don't do any of that hard stuff (laughs) it's super quick it's a very industrial method um it's very quick it doesn't have um that natural yeast carbonation um it is going to be occurring in bulk wine production so think andre or a uh, j roger barefoot etc the reason why you might get headaches when you drink sparkling wine if you're buying these wines, is because it probably is uh, has been made with forced carbonation. Mm-hmm. So, if you drink, if you consume sparkling wines that have naturally produced carbonation, you won't get those kinds of headaches mm-hmm. because it is a natural occurring yeast process. Whereas, if you get your headaches from your mimosas. Andre <laughs> or your mimosas from restaurants where yeah. they use the really cheap stuff. Yep. Uh, bottom, bottomless mimosas maybe not may not be the way to go yep. because they are using um, forced carbonation or the soda method mm-hmm. um, wines. So some people who say I just don't like sparkling wine; it gives me a headache. I'm like, well, try this one because yep. it's not going to give you a headache. I promise, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and those, I can promise that. Yeah, exactly. And those. Forced carbonation wines are typically the ones that come out of California saying champagne on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> they just take all the art out of it. And they just are quick there fix. for the the marketing and, and labeling fun of it. Yeah. So we talked about the different types of wine that undergo the Charmant method. Um, you know, Prosecco, Lambrusco, Moscato, etc. I'm only going to discuss one of those right now. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit further into it. Um, and that's going to be Prosecco. 
Mm. And that's because we all know Prosecco. We all love Prosecco. If you don't love Prosecco, maybe you will. Yes. It's Please wonderful. try it. Um, so Prosecco is a region in northern Italy. So mm-hmm. just like Champagne, just like Chablis, just like any Bordeaux, Bordeaux any region that the wine is also named after, Prosecco is one of those. So it's actually called Prosecco because it is a region in northern Italy. Um, it's made from the Glera grape, so G-L-E-R-A, Glera. And it was originally still wine until the Charmat Method became came around to transform it. Fun fact, um, the recession in t- 2008, mm-hmm. Prosecco actually took over champagne sales. I can't believe it. Um, Interesting. And... Because, you know, people still wanted to drink their bubbles, yeah. but they didn't want to spend the champagne prices. They could afford Prosecco. They can afford Prosecco. It's kind of funny because people talk about, like, the beverage industry being a recession-proof industry oh, because yeah. when people, you know, hit hard times, they <laughs> tend to drink more. Yeah, we saw that with the COVID <laughs> We sure and- <laughs> did. So um, this number right here, Prosecco took over champagne sales, didn't mean that champagne or drinking sales in general dropped. No. It just meant that cheap sales sales really went up. up. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So Prosecco took over champagne sales reaching above 307 million bottles in in 2013. Wow. And champagne sold for three, or sold 304 million bottles. Mm. So it only surpassed champagne by 3 million bottles sold. Wow. That's pretty crazy, though. But it's a lot of freaking bottles. It's a lot of bottles. And that's probably why Prosecco is still so popular. People started buying it because it's all they could afford, and they actually really like it. They started realizing it's actually a really good product. Yeah, Yeah, And, like, Prosecco is on every wine list, you know? It's like, you Mm -hmm. see it everywhere. Everywhere. And so you talked about it being just, you can drink it every day. I love it. It's like I mean, I do, too. Yeah, you drink it at lunch in Italy. Why why wouldn't you? I mean, that's also, well, (laughs) right. I would. I mean, when we were in Italy for our honeymoon, yeah, I had a um, Aperol spritz all the time. Oh yeah, and that has prosecco in it. It sure does. That's <laughs> <laughs> why it was a really good. Yeah, <laughs> of course it. Of course it is. <laughs> Some people may not know that though. <laughs> when we were on our honeymoon in Italy, we always had. Um, we loved our Aperol spritzes, which are. Aperol, Prosecco, and maybe Yum. a little bit of soda They're water. They're so good. They're so, so good. They're a little bitter if you like if you like that. But the sweetness it's levels like, it like, out. It's like fruity bitter. Yeah, it's so good. It's really like good. bright orange. So oh, fun to drink. So pretty. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the affordability really attri- attributes it to being an everyday sparkling wine. So 100%. it is something that you can genuinely drink all the time. It's just so good, and it is also good mimosas. I hate to I hate to bring. Well, that, that was my next really thing. Good. Yeah, well, that was my next thing. So, um, Bellinis were actually made mm. because because prosecco to like match prosecco flavors. Yeah, peach the peach flavors. Uh huh. Yeah. So Bellinis are actually intended to be drank only with prosecco. Yes. Um, mimosas are the same too. So um, if you are drinking your Bellinis or your mimosas, make sure that it's with prosecco because it really does match that fruit characteristic yeah. that's coming out of it and um it they both like the the glera grape prosecco in general is a very aromatic uh sparkling wine so that peach juice and orange juice really brings out those Yummy. aromas and it just so pairs good. very well so good it's so good um 
So, I mean, mimosas and, and bellinis and whatnot, you, you can absolutely put a traditional method wine with it. Oh, sure. But the bready notes are, might just kind of clash with that fruit. Agreed. Uh, the bubbles also might be a little different and the texture might be a little off with all the pulp if you have a pulpier juice or something mm-hmm. like that. But that's why Prosecco goes so well because it's very clean. The bubbles are really nice and small and the air out, the aromas from the grape are just very uh, complementary toward those juices. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> so we talked about the sweetness levels in the traditional method um, where we start with brute nature and then we go all the way down to sec for the sweetest brute nature being the driest where it's not really that pleasant and then that sweet spot of like dry that you that is pleasant is that brute or extra brute even if you want to go a little drier and then adding in a little sweetness will be extra dry and then a little more sweetness will be dry um down to sec is like super sweet um but we don't have all those levels in prosecco they still use that same scale but they only use three of the sweetness levels so the driest prosecco you're going to get is brute and then you're going to get extra dry and then dry so again we talked about it being very misleading Mm -hmm. dry is actually a little sweet so it is a little semi-sweet and then extra dry is a little drier than that (laughs) and then brute is dry right so um if you don't like a really sweet mimosa, get your Brut Prosecco. Mm-hmm. If you like your mimosa to be sweet and really pairing very, like, super, like, a, a good sweet, like, dreamsicle almost, mm-hmm. um, get your dry Prosecco. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's what I've got for that. Price points for Prosecco will be 12 to $20, and the higher price will be 25 to 35 mm-hmm. but honestly, those are, like, really fancy Proseccos. You're not going to find... yeah. Those will be like your vintage Proseccos. Yeah, you're not going to need, like, Prosecco is so affordable. Oh, my God, I love it. It's the best. And here's the thing. You're going to get a quality Prosecco under $20. true. Like a high quality Prosecco under $20. So I love it. It's so good. I don't think I've honestly ever had a Prosecco I've not liked. I would agree with that. You know? Like, even $10 Proseccos. Yeah. They're so good still. And here's the thing. In order for it to be Prosecco, it has to be made in the Charmant method. Yes. So it has to have that natural occurring carbonation. So you're never going to get a headache. So with a $10 Prosecco, <laughs> you're still what not going to get a headache. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you've got your $7, $8 Andre. Spend $2 more yeah. with, for no headache. Yeah. You're doing yourself And it a goes favor. way better with, mimos- with orange juice yeah, for your mimosas. I 100% agree. All right, so let's talk about food pairings with wine. Sparkling wine. Sparkling wine. I da, love da, da, da. it. You okay, do a lot here. Um, so the traditional method, we have think salty, buttery, creamy, cheesy fried foods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> French fries. French fries. French fries. French fries and champagne. French fries and champagne. Popcorn. Be mad about it. Buttered popcorn, fried oysters, chicken. fried chicken, brie cheese. I think like mac and cheese or fettuccine alfredo. Mm-hmm. Oh, champagne and oysters is a classic. Yeah. Classic, classic. There's like bars that do a bottle of champagne and a big basket of fries. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. 
Um, so for the Charmant method, we did break it down to the different styles of wines. Mm-hmm. So Prosecco will go really well with spicy Asian foods or cheesecake for dessert. Mm-hmm. Fresh fruit. Any Yummy. kind of fresh fruit goes really well with Prosecco. Charcuterie, too, I believe. Charcuterie mm-hmm. goes really well with Prosecco. Um, Lambrusco. Uh, you want to... These are actually... Lambrusco is a sparkling red wine. Yes. So I didn't talk about that, really. It's wonderful. It's we'll really probably cool. go into that in, in another season. I think so. It's, it's really unique and wonderful. It's delicious. And it's such a good food wine. It goes more so with... Um, uh, savory foods. So mm-hmm. think fatty cured meats like prosciutto or mortadella, mm-hmm. Parmigiano Reggiano, uh, balsamic vinegar. So like uh, balsamic vinegar uh, uh, reduction on a salad mm-hmm. or something like that or on a lamb chop or yeah. something. Um, bolognese sauce, pizza. Pizza and lambrisco is a dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my favorite. I'll crave that. That like that pepper, like pepperoni pizza. Oh yeah, or like a margarita pizza. Margarita pizza. That's oh, so it's good. Just so they're just so good together. So Lambrusco um, is has a different level of sweetness. Like it's still along that scale, but it's a different uh, sector of that scale. Um, the driest one you're going to get. It is dry, but it actually does have sweetness to it. Um, but that's going to be with your savory foods. They do make sweet Lambrusco. And mm-hmm. the sweeter styles will go well with, like, spicy Indian or Thai foods. So even the sweeter styles, I wouldn't even do with dessert. I would still do with savory foods. Yeah. So because we talked about spicy foods pairing well with sugar and how sugar helps balance that spice and mm-hmm. the heat, sweeter styles of Lambrusco, even with the sparkling notes to it, um, will really pair well with spicy Indian or Thai foods. Yeah. Love it. Moscato um, has really great pairing with curry. So, again, Indian and Thai food. Uh, sp- if you want to make it spicy, spicy is great, too, because it is sweeter. So, mm-hmm. the sugar, like, the sweeter Moscato pairs really well with spicy food. So, also, in addition to curry, Indian, and Thai, you can also get spicy spaghetti arab arabiata sauce. <laughs> I don't know how to say yeah, that. I've never known how to say that. Um, arabiata sauce. Arabiata, it's like a not. spicy tomato sauce. Um, it also goes well with like light flaky fish, chicken, shrimp, etc. Um, other seasonings. Like mm-hmm. if you want to do what, like, you know, try your hand at making something, uh, curating something yourself. Cinnamon, ginger, basil, chilies, fennel, orange, mint, cilantro. All mm. of those things go really well with Moscato. If you want to try your hand at desserts with Moscato, again, when we are talking about pairing wines with desserts, you want to make sure that your wine is always sweeter than your food. So think biscotti. Mm. Uh, or grilled peaches. Grilled peaches. Grilled peaches with a little that drizzle of so honey. But you want to make sure that... On a biscotti. On a biscotti. Yum. You want to make sure, again, that that Moscato is sweeter than your peaches, for though. Sure. So. And that's all I have for... Sparkling wines. Sparkling wines and food pairings. Gotta love it. All right, everybody. Make sure to tune in next week for our part two of Sparkling Wines season finale and um we're gonna have some uh yeah we're gonna have a guest uh special guest on and some news yes we'll talk to you guys soon see you next week